This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, struck out. That's eight. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. In steps Brandon Lau, and he swings at the first pitch and pummels one to deep center. Going back is Green at the wall, and it's gone. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. To our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. And we're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with Randy Arozarena to discuss what has been an unforgettable year for the Rays outfielder from all things Randy Land to the World Baseball Classic. Rays hitting coach Chad Matola will stop by to discuss the squad's impressive offensive showing during the month of August and gives us a behind-the-scenes look into how the former outfielder transitioned from player to coach. Then we'll take another trip to the minors and talk with the manager of the Montgomery Biscuits, Morgan Ensberg, about the Rays' AA affiliate and its 2023 season. And finally, we'll hear from Bally Sports Sun analyst and former Rays pitcher Doug Wechter live from Progressive Field in Cleveland. All right, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with our featured guest, Randy Rosarana. So thank you for the time. Continuamos en el This Week in Rays Baseball con nuestro invitado destacado, Randy Rosarana. Gracias por su tiempo. Gracias por su tiempo. Gracias. Okay, y no me han preguntado nada. So this is your fourth year with the Rays, Randy, and possibly the most memorable so far, not only for the team, but for you and your numbers. How has this season been for you personally, though? Este es tu cuarto año con los Rays y posiblemente el más memorable. Uh, hasta ahora, no solo para el equipo, sino para ti y tus números. ¿Cómo ha sido esta temporada para ti personalmente? Para mí ha sido muy buena. Eh, tuve un gran comienzo de temporada donde me pude ir, ir a Juego de las Estrellas y me encuentro muy bien. He podido ayudar al equipo en lo que pueda y creo que esta es una gran temporada para mí donde tengo metas de dar 20 honrones y robarme 20 bases para poder hacer tres años consecutivos de un 2020. I'm very happy. It's a great season for me. I saw very well. I did the All-Star game and uh, also I got some um uh, yeah, goals for me. I, I want you edit. Uh, I want to make some goals. I got 20 homers and 20 stolen bases. So we know you played for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic and took them all the way to the semifinals. What was that experience like? Sabemos que jugaste por México en el Clásico y lo llevaste hasta los semifinales. ¿Cómo fue esa experiencia para ti? Una experiencia muy bonita. Eh, disfrutar de, mucho, de mucha fanaticada mexicana en Arizona, en Miami, y sentir tanto apoyo mexicano. Y muy agradecido porque eh, la Selección de México me invitó a poder participar en el Clásico Mundial, que fue un gran torneo donde pude contribuir 
y llevar a, a México hasta el tercer lugar. Uh, it was a great tournament. Thanks for the people of Mexico and the team of Mexico who invited me to play for them. It was a great tournament, and I'm glad that I can help them to make the third place on the WBC. And it was in the World Baseball Classic where you made headlines with your pose, which you're doing right now, and you have continued to do that pose throughout the season for the Rays. Can you explain to our listeners how the pose started and where it came from? Fue en el Clásico donde acaparaste los titulares con tu pose y has continuado haciéndola a lo largo de esta temporada para los Rays. ¿Puedes explicar a nuestros oyentes cómo comenzó la pose y de dónde vino? Creo que salió natural, eh, estuve bastante emocionado por poder participar en mi primer clásico y fui mi primer bate, fue el primer bate del equipo donde conecté un, un doble, un extra base y solo llegué a segunda base y me crucé los brazos. Sabía que había muchas cámaras y tenían bastante ángulo para tomarme fotos, así que se hizo virar esa pose y tenía que mantener eh, porque influí, soy una influencia para muchos niños que están apenas comenzando el béisbol y ellos vean un espejo mío, un espejo mío donde pueda jugar a, que vean que yo juego muy alegre la pelota. Uh, it was another pose. It was the first time I went at bat with Mexico. I hit a double, and as soon as I get to second base, I just natural that I did the pose, and uh, it was very nice for me because everybody liked it, and everybody now is doing it. And it was uh, I'm an influ influencer for the kids, so they they love what I'm doing, and I'm still going to do it for them. It looked like you were slumping a little bit in the second half of the season after the, the All-Star break, but you had uh, a walk-off hit against the Cleveland Guardians very recently, and it does appear that you're returning to form. Is that how you feel? Parecía que te estabas desplomando un poco en la segunda mitad de la temporada, pero tuviste el golpe final contra los Guardianes de Cleveland y parece que estás volviendo a la forma. Es así como te sientes? Sí, me, me siento bien en estos momentos. Eh, para nadie es un secreto que tuve un mes de julio no muy productivo, donde hubo una baja en, en la producción y no pude ayudar tanto al equipo a ganar. Pero me he sentido mejor estas últimas dos semanas. Y no importa cómo yo me sienta, esté bien o mal en la temporada o malo, siempre trato de hacer lo mejor que pueda en el campo. Y, y ese juego contra Cleveland fui. fui Hice una gran producción donde pude definir el partido y eso ayudó al equipo a ganar. Yeah, it's not a secret that I was in a slump in the month of July, but right now I'm feeling great. And no matter how I feel, if I feel good or bad, I will try to do my best to help the team. And as you say, when we play Cleveland, I got a great hit, and hopefully I can keep going uh, during the season. When you do get into a slump, how do you try to get out of it? Cuando te encuentras uh, en una depresión, ¿Cómo trataste salir de ella? ¿En una depresión? En un slump. Ah, tratar de seguir entrenando, seguir confiando en el proceso y tratar de hacer lo, lo mismo que estaba haciendo cuando tenía buenos resultados en la temporada. I have confidence in me. I will try to do the same as I did uh, when I was ha having a great season at the beginning and also keep uh, training and keep doing the same work I think that I have. It's no secret that Randy Rosarena has a lot of fans, and now that's literally impossible not to see with the addition of Randy Land out there. And on the first day of Randy Land, you homered in that game. How cool is it to have your own fan section? 
and describe that moment of hitting a home run in your first at bat of the first day of Randy Land. No es ningún secreto que Randy Rosarena tiene muchos fanáticos y ahora es literalmente imposible de no ver con la incorporación de Randy Land. Y en el primer día de Randy Land pegaste un jonrón en un juego. Qué tan genial es tener tu propia sección de fanáticos y describir, describir ese momento de conectar un jonrón en tu primer turno al bate del primer día de Randy Land. Se siente increíble eh, el apoyo que me ha brindado el equipo, la organización de poner una sesión de Randy Land. Ahí se encuentran todo, en general tengo muchos fanáticos que me apoyan, pero ahí se encuentran también los fanáticos, los fieles, los que siempre van a, a tratar de que Randy conecte un jonrón los viernes aquí en casa para tomar cerveza gratis. Y es, la paso súper increíble, ellos me apoyan mucho y siempre ma, mantengo esa relación de, de jugador a fanático para que ellos sigan apoyándome para seguir divirtiéndome en el campo. I feel very grateful. I'm very honored with the team who gave me a section in my name, and I feel comfortable with my with my fans. I know I have very much fans, and I know they come to see me, and they want me to do a homer so they can drink beer for free, and I enjoy myself playing for them. And you were voted an all-star for the first time in your career. What did that selection mean to you? Fuiste votado un all-star por primera vez en tu carrera. ¿Qué significó para ti esa selección? Significó mucho. Eso es... Eso es el resultado de, del esfuerzo y el sacrificio que he venido pasando durante mi corta carrera. Creo que me merecí estar en ese juego de estrella y la pasé de maravilla. Increíble esa gran experiencia que poder participar en el Jorón Derby y en, y en el juego de la estrella y poder ser titular en ese juego. Oh, it was an honor for me. I think it's my the sacrifice and efforts I've been doing during all season. I had so much fun uh, playing in the All-Star game and also competing in the home run derby and grabbing that uh, field, uh, the, the, the ball in the outfield in the first inning. And you also competed in the home run derby and made it all the way to the final against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. What was that experience like? También competiste en el home run derby y llegó uh, hasta la final contra Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ¿Cómo fue esa experiencia? Muy bonita. Eh, competí contra mi compadre y amigo y hermano José Adolí. Y ahí la pasé de maravilla. Fue una bonita competencia donde pude ganarle. Después así seguí con Luis Robe y Vladimir Soto fue el que me dio consejo. De, en, durante eh, de Ron Derby que hiciera cosas para que no me cansara y yo se lo tra transmití a Vladi. Vladi al final me ganó, pero la pasé bien y fue una gran, bonita experiencia donde pude conectar 82 honrones. Oh, uh, it's a great experience for me. First of all, I started uh, competing against my good friend Adolis Garcia, and then I beat him, and then I play. Uh, I went against uh, Luis Robert, also a Cuban player, and then at the end, uh, Soto came to me to tell me something that I have to do to rest myself and be calm, and then I talk to Vladi regarding those same situations that he beat me. But I'm happy that I, I play, I, I compete in the home run derby. And last question before I get you out of here, Randy. If you don't mind sharing, what is your secret to being a successful hitter? Or is it as simple as putting on your power boots? Última pregunta antes de sacarte de aquí. Si no te importa compartir, ¿cuál es tu secreto para ser un bateador exitoso? ¿O es tan simple como ponerse tus Botas de, poder, botas de poder. Bueno, para convertirme en un bateador exitoso, solo confío en Dios y confío en mí. Y trato de divertirme en el campo 
y todo solo pongo en manos de Dios y los resultados salen solos. No me preocupo por ser el mejor ni por ser el, 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 más, el más malo jugador, sino por divertirme y creo que los resultados eh, me salen bien porque lo disfruto. Have fun playing baseball and keep doing what I'm doing, uh, but everything in God's hands. Well, thank you so much for the time, Randy. Muchas gracias para ti. Thank you. Well, we'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from Rays hitting coach Chad Matola about what it's like working with Yandy Diaz, Isak Paredes, and Josh Lowe. Plus, we'll check in with the manager of the Montgomery Biscuits, Morgan Ensberg, about the Rays AA affiliate and its 2023 campaign. And we'll wrap it all up with Bally Sports Sun analyst and former Rays pitcher Doug Wechter live from Progressive Field in Cleveland. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. All right, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball with Rays hitting coach Chad Matola. Chad, thanks for taking the time. All right, good to be here. So this is your seventh season with the Rays. I have to know, how's it been for you? I know you guys started incredibly hot, had that rough month of July, but in August things started to swing back in the race favor, but how has it been for you personally? Well, after a humbling experience in Cleveland to end the season, uh, some good messaging, some hungry guys have made it a fun year. And what about the Rays in August? I mean, we saw what they did in July, and they had the 6-18 and 18 record. Then you're coming off August with a record of 17-8. and eight. And the offense, they were producing about six runs a game, if not more than that. So what do you think changed exactly? Uh, we just got back to controlling the zone a little bit more. Um, the first couple months of the year, they did a lot a better job of passing the baton, of lengthening the lineup. And then guys had a couple bad games and started pressing a little bit, just a little bit of human nature, stuff that happens throughout the year no matter what. But we had enough good stuff on video that we could go back to, enough good at-bats, enough good decision-making, that the, the messaging stayed the same, but we just had to get a little more refocused. Yeah, and what were you doing – as the Rays hitting coach during that month of July when I think they were producing three, three and a half runs a game and just didn't seem to be hitting the way that they were at the beginning of the season. What was your message to the guys during that stretch? It's more you just got to ride it out. Like I said, in, in, the, in the seventh month season, counting the playoffs and spring training, there's going to be ups and downs. Uh, you just want to make sure that the guys aren't trying to do, get out of it individually. And that's when you have a bunch of good guys that, that want to take care of each other. They tend to press too much, um, trying to do it all in one at bat and just try to minimize the length of those. Obviously, it kind of was contagious for the whole month of July. It just lined up that way, but it's going to happen throughout a season. I know it's a long year. Where have you seen improvement offensively with the club and where do you still hope to see some improvement between now and the end of the season? Well, I mean, it's September now. It's always a grind in September. It's just the guys have done a nice job of maintaining their energy. And that's the focus at the end of the year is at the finish line to, to minimize the work, the preparation, make sure you've done it all the other months that lead up to this rather than try to all of a sudden get in shape and figure out these mechanics or something like that. It's now let's make sure we finish strong going to the playoffs. Let's talk about some individuals that you've coached this season, starting with arguably the team MVP, Yandy Diaz. He has a chance to become the first Tampa Bay Ray to ever win a batting title. What makes Yandy so special? We've talked to him. We've talked to a number of other people, but 
Uh, what in your mind separates him from the pack? The consistency, just from the first at bat of the game, he he does it with showing people how to have a professional at bat night in, night out. Um, then adding the power this year, he signed a contract with us, so he's willing to explore, you know, the, his ceiling a little bit more and and use a little bit more pull side, make some mistakes early in the count, taking chances, um, but still just a consistency overall, night in, night out that we just rely on him and then becoming a father and still <laughs> having some energy coming to the field. I mean, he seems to be getting better with each passing season, but did you expect a year like this from Yandy Diaz? You, you never put ceilings on anybody. Um, we knew there was a little more in there, but he was so good in the way he had his approach of seeing the ball deep, making good decisions, using the other way and, and, how to balance that out with some more pull side power. Like I said, sometimes you make mistakes in decision-making, trying to catch a ball out front, but just the, him being willing to explore and become an overall better hitter. And you just never want to put a ceiling. He has the ability to hit 30 homers. Um, maybe that'll happen. Maybe he'll just stay where he's at. We'll take them both. Speaking of pull side power, I can't not talk to you about Isak Paredes. I mean, a guy who's still flying under the radar, so to speak, even though he has almost 30 home runs, almost 100 RBIs. He's probably going to finish with both. But how amazed have you been with Isak Paredes' progress this season? It's the way he's done it in big situations and still having the two-strike approach of using the other way, the blend he's doing it, the throttle he's he's having of the at-bats. And, and, you know, quietly, they're not talking about his decision-making either with his on-base percentage and all those things. It's the under-the-hood numbers that really stick out on top of the the possible 30-100 RBI season. And how about Josh Lowe? It seems like he has really matured here in 2023. We know when he first came up to the Rays, he looked a little tentative and uh, maybe looking around like, oh, am I supposed to be here? Do I belong? Clearly this year it's a completely different story. He does. He's hitting – you know, around 285, he's got the home runs, the RBIs. He's only been caught stealing twice this season, and he has almost 30 stolen bases. I mean, how has Josh Lowe been able to make a jump like this one? It's such a big jump from AAA to the big leagues now with the gap in pitching. So it's one of those things you have to kind of get baptized by the fire of going in and seeing the adjustments you have to make in the offseason. So him, Luke Rayleigh, were able to get up here last year for the at-bats to realize the adjustments they have to make to uh, make the transition to the big leagues. It, they Guys have a ton of success doing certain things in the minor leagues that don't always translate here. And it usually takes an offseason to fix those or make changes and to give both those guys credit. They did a hell of a job of coming in prepared and filling the need that we needed with a left-handed at-bat, and they maintained it throughout the season. We talked a little bit about the month of August. The guy who saw a lot of playing time during that month was Osleves Basabe, a guy who started the year in AAA Durham. He's probably going to be more of a, a bit player going forward with the return of Taylor Walls. But what did you like from Osleves Basabe? Obviously got his first big league home run, that grand slam, and some other big hits on that West Coast road trip. Just his demeanor. Um, the game has not sped him up at all. He's from day one walked in and felt like he's belonged and – his way to intake certain messages and scouting reports and things like that. He's very advanced and, and just a solid all around player that kind of is very under the radar in the industry, but really just had a ton of success and it moved really quick through our 
system. Now, Chad, you played collegially at UCF, and you were drafted fifth overall, one spot ahead of a guy that I think people have heard of, Derek Jeter, in 1992. Uh, you were drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. What do you remember about that draft and how excited were you to go fifth overall? And then how excited were you to learn that Derek Jeter won a spot behind you? Well, at the time, you don't realize all those things that happened. I took some pretty good ribbing my whole career. It slowly <laughs> turned into an honor, but I'm reminded constantly. But I think it's prepared me pretty good for the role I'm in now to understand the pressures, the, the outside the baseball world influences that you have to deal with. I was pretty naive to the business side coming out of UCF without even an agent and things like that. And just assumed everybody always had the best interest in you, but you, you learn there's a lot of business involved on, on the other side and understanding where I was and all the steps I took from prospect to non-prospect to a hundred people in my ear to nobody in my ear, just kind of having all those experiences have really helped me kind of understand everybody's situation. So it, it was a grind. It was well worth it, but all those experiences really helped me out in the role I'm in now. Yeah, you played professionally for a long time, from 1992 to 2007. You appeared in 59 big league games and then over 1,800 minor league games. What did you learn from your career as, as a journeyman, just playing in all these organizations? I mean, you played for the Reds, the Blue Jays, the, the Marlins organization, the Orioles. What, what did you learn during your time as a player? I learned there's not one secret out there. There's Everybody learns differently. Everybody uh, teaches differently. Everybody hears messages differently. There's there's so many ways to do this. There's so many wrong ways to do this. And all those experiences, good or bad, have taught me something, something to pull out of them, probably learn more out of the organizations that were run badly, what not to do. So like I said, all that journey is added up to where I'm at now. Uh, going through it wasn't always the most fun or bouncing around, uh, waiting to start a family, things like that, but it's all paid off now. And when you were down there as a player, was there a, a moment where you, you had, um, where you had an aha type of type of moment down there where you thought, you know what, maybe coaching is, is for me. Maybe I'm going to do that once my playing career is over. Never. <laughs> Never <laughs> did I think that when I stepped away after the 16th year, I was going to distance myself far away from this game actually had some jobs with front offices in the NFL due to friendships I made, uh, pursued it going to the Combine and the Senior Bowl, uh, possibly taking that route. And uh, Dick Scott from the Blue Jays called to make sure I was quitting, as I say, because I wanted to walk away from the game. And he offered me a coaching job, and I hung up on him immediately, saying no chance. <laughs> and then a couple weeks passed by and reached back out. And I said, well, it's all I know. I'll, I'll give it a shot for a – half a season by the house and ended up falling in love with it. And just a complete different perspective of understanding the grind these kids are in and, and able to get the satisfaction of competing through them, but not the pressures of being in the box and things like that. And always remembering all the different thoughts that go through my head or all the different nights of sleep deprived energy, things like that. So it, it was just, able to relay my experiences through them really was a lot of fun for me. Well, now I got to ask, what was it like working in the world of professional football and what were you doing exactly? I never, I went to, like I said, I just went to the combine and I went to the senior bowl right after that off season to see if I would pursue. I had a couple friends that were GMs of the different teams and it was more, 
getting the perspective and, and seeing if it was something I wanted to do. I, I gave it a couple weeks, but like I said, I, and looking back and taking a couple months away from the game, I decided to give it a shot since it's what I know. So I went with what I know first and have not looked back. And you were the Blue Jays hitting coach back in 2013. That was you kind of getting your feet wet there and the big league level as a coach. But what was that experience like? What did you learn there? I learned a ton because I played with most of those guys as well. So I, I coached and played with them. So I had a pretty good relationship going in. But when you're getting to work with uh, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion, um, Jose Reyes was there. Adam Lind was there. We had a, a really special group of players. So not only was it a great experience as far as learning, but uh, some quality players that taught me some stuff along the way too. Last question before I get you out of here, Chad. So back in 2015, I remember I was a number two broadcaster for the Montgomery Biscuits trying to stay in my lane. And every time I'd go down there, drop off the rosters and the stat packs, some rover would be in town. And, and more often than not, there's like four or five of you guys. But you were the Rays minor league hitting coordinator for a little while. And I would see you down there and I said, I don't know who that guy is, but he looks really important. Then I find out in September of 2016 that you had been promoted to the Rays as the Rays' new hitting coach. Tell us how all that came about and how pumped were you to get that job? Uh, leaving the Blue Jays, uh, they had a GM change, so I, I did not get my contract renewed. Um, from afar, I always enjoyed the way the Rays ran things, so we kind of pursued each other. Um, then took the minor league roving role for two-plus years, uh, Kevin Cash came in after that. We had a previous relationship from playing together with the Blue Jays. So it was one of those things that a lot of things lined up great for me. Um, the way this game works after a lot of years not lining up too good. And uh, it's been enjoyable from day one working with this organization. Well, we appreciate you taking the time today, Chad Matola, the race hitting coach. Best of luck the rest of the season. We will talk to you again soon. And we'll see you during this homestand against Boston and Seattle. All right, sounds good. And we certainly appreciate the time of Rays hitting coach Chad Matola. Coming up, Montgomery Biscuit skipper Morgan Ensberg. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. All right, we continue on this week in race baseball with Morgan Ensberg, the manager of the Montgomery Biscuits, the AA affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. Mo, it's good to see you again. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, and congratulations, man. Like, we are so fired up for you. We are so pumped, and uh, we just couldn't be happier. We're so excited to see the long, hard work, right? In many respects, it's very similar to a player with what you've gone through, and the bus rides, and the heat, and the different <laughs> locations, and the audio doesn't work, and oh, who yeah. knows what's going on, and TV's off, so... We're super proud of you, Chris. I, I really appreciate that, Mo. I mean, I, I miss you guys for sure, uh, but I know that the season has been going well as it as it tends to do down there in, in Montgomery, Alabama, or up yeah. there, I guess, if we're speaking geographically. But tell us about how the season is going. I know the first half when, when I was there, it went okay, but it sounds like you guys are really starting to hit your stride here in the second half. 
Yeah, well, Chris, you know, we've been together for four years, right? And we, we are business as usual here outside of that 2019, which now has, you know, Walls and uh, J-Lo and stuff that was on that team. That, that was the only team that really just kind of steamrolled. Uh, the other years, this is business as usual, where guys are learning. And the way I like to describe it is that they are calibrating, right? They're calibrating. They're learning. This is a very difficult level. The way I describe it is the big leagues is the big brother, AAA is the middle brother, and AA is the young brother. This is real baseball, and players are getting pitched differently. Hitters lay off bad pitches more, so the pitchers have to be more in the zone. So it's going well. I mean, we know that once if we can get to August alive, uh, we have a real ch- a real chance. What is it about AA that makes it so difficult? I know, I know you touched on a few things right there, but – you would constantly refer to it as the men's league. And when you and I would talk, you would say, this is the first time that these guys are going to be playing this version of baseball, which is the version of baseball that they are going to be playing for the rest of their lives. So it sounds like that jump from high A to double A is pretty drastic, isn't it? It is drastic. And it's, it's drastic for, for different reasons, but mostly the quality of player that makes it through the minor leagues up until high A and then breaks through high A to get to double A, you know, it's a bottleneck. You know, it's a, it's a lot of A-ball teams. It's a lot of fighting and learning. And I've always said that, you know, a lot of guys can get to double A on their ability, but once you get to double A, now this is real baseball. It's not obviously as good as triple A. It's not obviously as good as the big leagues by any means. But if you make an error, that run's going to score. If you walk a guy, there's a good chance that dude's scoring. If you make uh, a, a, a mental mistake, you're going to get punished. So this is the the level that I think is is vitally important to a player's development. And I truly believe that if you can get out of AA, 100%, you have a good chance of making it to the big leagues. Let's talk about some of the Biscuits players. We know that the Rays' top prospect is there in Junior Caminero, a guy that Came to the Biscuits a couple of months in, and a guy who plays shortstop, but also he's been playing some third base there in Montgomery. How have you enjoyed uh, watching him and his progress? First and foremost, this is an awesome human being. This is a great kid and somebody that has an amazing amount of talent. He's been 19 for most of the season, just turned 20. This kid hits the ball really hard, and he's learning – Third base, getting more reps at third base. I believe that he can be a third baseman in the big leagues. And right now we're working on, luckily I played, so this is a great spot. I'm, I'm having a blast with him, but teaching him really different angles, positioning, because he has the hands, he has the feet, he has the arms, but he needs the reps defensively just to get used to that. But he's a, a supremely talented kid. And if I'm not mistaken, I think in all of baseball, he has the seventh fastest bat speed. Let, let me be clear. In all of baseball. So if you want to say Shohei Atani or Mike Trout or Aaron Judge, well, Junior Caminero is number seven. So he's hit some balls over the scoreboard. So he, th- this kid can really play. And what about Mason Hour moving to the outfield? We know that his season got off to kind of a difficult start. He, he was struggling uh, to adapt to the double-A level a little bit, but – I've looked at his numbers, and I've been keeping up with David Stinchcomb, who's, who's running things over there for Tampa Bay, or for Montgomery, rather, and it sounds like he is starting to figure things out, too. He really has. I mean, Mason 
really went through it, you know, in the beginning of the year. And it, it's, it's really, we were talking earlier about that transition to double A and he is the perfect example where it's just, it's, it's not that he can't do it at all. He has all the ability, but it's just, you get pitched differently. And then, you know, you, you get into a little bit of a slump and things kind of snowball. The way he has handled it, the way he has worked, the way he has continued to show up early, and you know this, but we show up early. We do a lot of work here. Mm-hmm. And he has been an unbelievable teammate and has played his heart out the entire time. And I don't bet against guys like that. Let's go to the pitching staff now. We have Mason Hour, who's the Rays' number 13 prospect. He's an outfielder, the Rays' number eight prospect, though. Mason Montgomery is a guy who is in his second year with the Biscuits. I guess this would be his first full season at the double-A level. And we saw him go uh, try to deal with some obstacles at the beginning of the season, too. How is he looking at this point in the season? Mason's much better. You know, when the, the past few years, he's really made it on a fastball, right? Like, it's been a carry fastball that he's just been able to find success. But we know that in the big league level, you need to have more than just a single pitch. And so he's been working on that. Our pitching coach, Steve Merriman, has done a, a really, really incredible job of working on a slider, working on a changeup, you know, continuing to keep the strength of the fastball. And again, Mason has all of the ability to be a very good pitcher. Uh, it's going to be, conti- you know, up to him to continue to do the work. And really, at the end of the day, attack the strike zone. If he attacks the strike zone and stays in the strike zone, there's a very high upside. And what about the Rays' number 12 prospect, Cole Wilcox, a guy who skipped an entire level at the beginning of this season, going from low A to double A, coming back from Tommy John surgery as well. I thought he looked great at the beginning of the season. And then he started to deal with what guys deal with at the double A level. And he's had an injury this year as well, but he's come back and uh, and where do you think he stands at this point? So Cole Wilcox is a really interesting example in that this dude is a for real horse. I mean, this is a massive human being that works his tail off. And from my conversations with Steve, our pitching coach, it takes time for the body to relearn how to throw even after, you know, a, a, a surgery. Uh, he did have a small setback where he just kind of, I don't know if you call it slipped a rib or kind of jammed a rib, you know, got, or dislocated a rib. So that was just a minor, minor hiccup, but he's continuing to learn what his body needs to do in order to get the the quality. So he's really working on technique. But again, there's a theme here. You, the three guys you've mentioned, these guys work really hard and they have the natural ability. And again, I I would never bet against Cole Wilcox. When you and I would talk in Montgomery about players development, you would say, you know what? The best analogy I can come up with is it's like baking a cake, right? Like, so I'm wondering, can you enlighten our listeners a little bit about that analogy about developing players, especially at the double A level? Sure. I mean, I think everybody, myself included, wants players to just figure it out immediately that we say this one magical sentence and all of a sudden like, voila, you know, everything is perfect and and we have figured it out. But uh, players are, are, it's very similar to baking a cake. We can't add more flour. We can't add more sugar. We can't add more ingredients. We can't turn the heat up. The heat will make it burn. The, the cake requires a certain amount of time with, a, with certain measurements of ingredients, and it just takes a certain amount of time for it to come out correctly. And that's exactly what we do here with the players. 
they're going to continue to do their work and they're going to continue to work on the things that are going to make them effective at the big league level. Remember, the goal is not to be effective at the double A level. The goal is to have weapons and to be able to play at the big league level. And that's going to take the exact amount of time that is needed for that player. I know you guys do a ton of work just from being with the Biscuits all those years. You guys show up early. You're out on the field. You're doing drills that most teams aren't. And I remember talking to several scouts, and all of them would say the same thing. Nobody does it like the Tampa Bay Rays. So tell our listeners a little bit about the things that you're working on prior to each game during the season. Yeah, so so much of the work is individualized. Um, and And the way I describe it really is that you have your classroom settings, which doesn't necessarily mean inside, even though we do go over video and we do do whiteboard stuff and, and we teach um, kind of on an academic level in that way. But really each player is treated as though they're being tutored. So there will be one-on-one, a lot of one-on-one coaching with each player working on the areas that they need to improve on to play at the big league level. And we are relentless in this absolutely relentless and any drill we can think of to help develop that skill we will do we don't care what it looks like you know as long as it's safe and it gets the job done we will do it and then in turn when we work more with groups for example you know if i'm working with the infielders and i'm working with the entire infield where i'm hitting ground balls i'm still hitting the ground balls to what they're working on so the ground balls will look different across the board of what each individual player, the type ground ball that they're getting. Because again, we're going to continue to work on those things that help them be good at the, at the big league level. I remember when we were on the bus down to Pensacola for opening day and you and I were sitting in the front of the the bus there and started talking. And I asked you, I said, you know, this is your senior year, Mo. This is the, this is your fourth year with the biscuits. I have to, I have to know, what have you learned so far? I've learned that as, as I continue to learn things about this game, I find out that there are so many more things that I don't know. And, you know, as you acquire knowledge and you, you acquire these experiences where, uh, wow, I didn't know that would work or let's try this. And then it kind of opens itself up to a new world. As, as a player, I was always saying to myself, get to the big leagues, get to the big leagues as fast as I can. Like, go, go, go. And early on in my coaching, I, I felt the same way. I was like, get to the big leagues, get to the big leagues. And that's, that's a dream, you know, that, that would be nice, but that's no longer the goal. The goal is to know the most that I'm capable of about this game, the most I can about how to teach players, the most I can about managing a ball game, managing coaches, managing players, and, and the most I can with the interaction with the players and how to learn what each guy, you know, what makes them tick and how to motivate them. But most importantly, I, I, I really just am thankful that I get a chance to do something that I love. You know, we talked about this quite a bit where, you know, a lot of guys felt like they were best at, at baseball, right? Players and stuff. And I always knew that I was going to be a coach. I'm very thankful for my career. Uh, but I always knew that I would be best at, at coaching. Yeah, and did you always want to manage? I mean, even when you were playing in the big leagues, did you think, all right, once this is over, I'm going to get into managing? I think while you're in the big leagues, your mind doesn't work correctly, right? Like, And I don't mean that you're doing bad things. I just meant you are so in the fire, and 
the amount of pressure to play in the big leagues is shocking. I mean, absolutely shocking. The example I use is that I always felt like I had higher blood pressure, right? Like I'd go and it wasn't high, but it was just on the higher end. They're like, oh, okay, you're just, you know, you're fine, but you're just, you know, towards the top of, of normal. And <laughs> I, I took a physical the year after I, I retired or was retired, right? Very few of us retire. We get retired. <laughs> and uh, my blood pressure had gone down to 10 points and it turned out to be pretty low blood pressure, but that's a testament to the anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, those were, those were things that are, are really surprising. Yes. I knew I wanted to be a manager, but while I was doing it in the big leagues, I was really just surviving. Mm-hmm. And last question before I get you out of here, I know that whenever the biscuits hit a home run, you guys have a Viking helmet That's that right. you place on top of the guy who, who Homer's head. I know that you are Norwegian. You love Vikings. You're, you're descended from Vikings. You, you were reading some Viking books. The last time I was down there in, in Montgomery, you're up there again. If we're talking geographically, I'm going to get that right. I promise. Yeah. Talk to us about the Viking mentality though, Morgan. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of out of control really. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, both sides of my family are Norwegian. And so, you know, I'm 81% Norwegian. Um, and, you know, in my family, we are, are ministers and farmers. And then, you know, as it, as it goes down, we got past that. But basically, you know, farmers, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in my family, we work. You know what I mean? Like, we work. It's head down, keep your mouth shut, and work. And my dad describes when he was nine years old, uh, he was with his, his grandpa in South Dakota on their farm. And my grandpa was probably, or his grandpa at the time was like 70 or 80 years old and taking these huge hay bales and like picking them and throwing them up and stuff. And he said, Martin, your turn. So my dad's nine. So he grabs the two. He's trying to lift up. He can't. His grandpa comes over and throws up and he looks at my dad at age nine. He looks at my dad at age nine. He goes, Martin, we work and then we die. And that was the story. So we have fun with it. I mean, we have, uh, there is on our lineup cards, a Viking helmet. We do have a Viking, which I didn't buy that. I mean, that was the players buying in uh, to that, but it's something that's just fun. But I think also it's something for, you know, them to, to kind of maybe have in the back of their head, in which case it's going to be a relentless fight. Like we will never give up. We will never stop. We will keep going. And uh, it's something fun, but it is something that's very important to me in my life. Well, hopefully the Biscuits can continue to burn the boats, as you say, the rest of the season. Morgan Ensberg, thanks so much for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Best of luck to the Butter and Blue the rest of the way. I hope you guys come away with a Southern League title. That would be great because I I won't be there. So you guys will probably do it. I don't want to be the bad luck charm, but you guys have a great team and, and best of luck. Thanks again. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. And we really appreciate Morgan Ensberg for sharing an inside look into the Montgomery Biscuits 2023 season. Coming up, Valley Sports Sun analyst and former Rays pitcher Doug Wechter will join us live from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball, and we're joined now by Bally Sports Sun Analyst and former Rays pitcher Doug Wechter, who is live up at Progressive Field in Cleveland. Doug, top of the muffin to you. Hey, what's up, Chris? Uh, good to hear the voice, man. Yeah, I'm out here at Progressive Field. It's a beautiful day. And, uh, yeah, ready for some day game baseball. I guess we can call it day game baseball, 4 o'clock, and uh, ready to hopefully take a win and get out of here. Yeah, let's talk about how the road trip has been going so far. Do you think it's a little hard to assess because the Rays swept the Marlins in a couple of close games there Tuesday and Wednesday in uh, in Miami, and then they come to Cleveland and they continue to struggle against this team that did beat them in the playoffs last year, but they're on the outside looking in right now. They are making a playoff push right now, of course, by signing, uh, what, half the Angels team there. Uh, but what have you <laughs> yeah. seen on this road trip so far from the Rays? You know, I think it's fair to say that it's been just up and down. I mean, with the Marlins series, you get to take those two right there. And it, it, the Rays have been playing really well going through that Marlins series. And then you go up here to Cleveland and drop the first two in very tight games. Uh, frustrating ways to lose also. And so, yeah, it has been tough for the Rays to play here. And that's been the frustrating part. It just seems like no matter how much effort they put in, they just fall short. And, you know, hopefully we'll see that change. But I think overall, uh, even though – you know, we're still waiting to see if this is going to be a winning road trip or not. Uh, the Rays have been playing really well over the course of, let's call it, the last 15 to 20 games. I mean, this is a team that's gone out there now and won nine of the last 11 series. And if they can continue to just win series, I know today is going to be different. They're not going to be able to take the series today, uh, already dropping those two to Cleveland. But if they can just look at winning series moving forward, they should be exactly where they need to be getting into October and heading into that playoff push. I'm going to ask you the question that's probably on a lot of Rays fans' minds right now. What is it about the Cleveland Guardians? Like, why do they keep beating the Rays, not only defeating them, but beating them by one run every time in that ballpark? You, you know what's funny? As soon as you said you're going to ask me a question, I thought it was going to be a trivia question that you were just going <laughs> to stump me with like you always do. Uh, thank you for not doing that. I'll wait. Yeah, until, that'll what, come in the, the fifth, fifth inning. Don't worry. Inning. Okay, there you go. I'll <laughs> wait for that one. And maybe I'll actually get this one correct. But, um, yeah, I think when you're talking about Cleveland and why it's so hard for the Rays to, to beat them consistently or to really take games away from them consistently, I think it's just because they, the two teams mirror each other very well and I think it starts with pitching right you go out there uh, the pitching for both sides is very strong specifically the bullpen I think you know Cleveland has one of the top bullpens in the league I think they're ranked number three if you look at bullpen ERA right now uh, they have one of the best closers in the game class a who's gone out there and done a heck of a job this entire season has over 35 saves on the year and so you know if you don't score against these guys early it's really hard to get the win because of that lockdown bullpen and and that's very similar to what the Rays want to do that's how the Rays win they they win with pitching defense and and Cleveland is much the same so I, I think it comes down to the two teams just being very similar and for some reason the Rays have not been able to just go to get over that hump and, and beat Cleveland consistently and hopefully today we'll start a new trend 
Well, you talked a little bit about it, Doug. We know the Rays had a great month of August. They went 17-8, and eight, and they have been playing a lot better recently. We know that they had that horrible month of July, but sometimes you have to go through it like that in order to get back to where you were. Where do you think the Rays are right now? I mean, looking at the standings, the Orioles now have a two-and-a-half game lead because they beat the Diamondbacks last night, and the Rays, of course, lost to the Guardians. Do you think the Rays are in a decent spot right now? I think they are. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the offense seems to be back. And, you know, every team kind of goes through that slump. And it was a little bit different for the Rays because it seemed like the entire offense went through a slump at the same time in the month of July. And it really equates to two things, in my opinion. It's they weren't able to get the big hits, the runners in scoring position. You know, I think their average was closer to 200. And you look into August when they started turning things around and their average with runners in scoring position was jumped up to 350. Uh, and then the home run ball, right? We saw three home runs in yesterday's game. You're starting to see the power game come back for Tampa Bay. And I think those two things combined, uh, it gets this offense back to where we were almost accustomed to seeing it in the first couple months of the season. And I think because the offense is looking so good here recently, uh, this team is right where they need to be. Uh, you know, the pitching, you know, if they can stay healthy, we just unfortunately heard some news about Jason Adam last night about an oblique, but mm-hmm. if you want to look at that glass half full, it looks like it shouldn't be a too long of a, a stint on the IL. Uh, if you can get him back, well then, you know, the pitching, as long as the rest of the guys stay healthy, you should be in a great spot. So I like where the Rays are at. I think they're they're playing good baseball right now. I would love to see them continue to play good baseball all the way through this month and really just gain some good momentum going into the playoffs because, I mean, look, we all know this, but momentum is a huge factor when you start playoff baseball. And if we got the momentum on our side, then you got to feel really good about how deep they can go. Let's talk about Bob Stevenson for a second. Holy moly, this guy last night has what I called on the postgame show yesterday a quasi-immaculate inning. He struck out three batters on nine pitches, and the only reason it wasn't, I guess, a a full-on immaculate inning was because he issued an intentional pass to Andres Jimenez in the middle of strikeouts number two and three. And I also mentioned this on the postgame show, but it feels like every time Bob Stevenson comes into a game, we say, wow, this is the biggest spot that he's been in as a Ray. And just every single time we've said that. I mean, how good do you think Bob Stevenson is right now? He's generating so much swing and miss. Yeah, I think this is the best he's ever thrown. I mean, it's easy for me as an analyst to say that after we watch him go out with <laughs> nine straight pitches and punch out the side in a huge spot yesterday. But if you look analytically on what he's done here, you know, over the last handful of games, the amount of swing and miss, like you alluded to, that he is generating is just next level. And it's specifically on that slider. Uh, we saw all nine pitches last night were the slider. And I don't even know if he gave up a foul ball. I mean, he might have given up a foul ball, but either way, he was just dynamic with that one pitch. And it's almost to the point where he can tell them it's coming and the hitters won't be able to, to pick it up or recognize it. And I had a really good conversation with Misha, the uh, bullpen catcher. And I asked him what Robert Stevenson's or Bob Stevenson's slider looks like. Why is it so tough? Why is he getting so much swing and miss? And he said that the the spin to the pitch is actually unique. It's a gyro-type spin. And so when he throws it, a typical slider on a major leaguer, when a typical slider is thrown, you'll see a red dot as a batter in the middle of the baseball. And when you see the red dot, then you know and can anticipate where that break is going to go. So you at least have an idea of where the pitch is going to break. With Stevenson, he throws it with this gyro spin, and the ball is completely white, almost like a cue ball. 
And so when he throws it, it's so hard for these batters to figure out where it's going to break because they hardly ever see spin like that. They never see that cue ball coming at them. And so that is one of the major reasons that that pitch has gotten so good here recently and also the fact that he's throwing it for strikes. I mean, if he was bouncing every one of them in there, it wouldn't be a great pitch, but he's locating the thing. And, you know, he's putting it where he wants to, and that's really why he's been so dynamic for the Rays. And then last, very quickly, uh, last question for you, Doug. Taj Bradley's going to make his first start for the Rays today since July 29th at Houston. What can we expect from Taj, do you think? Well, he's throwing good in Durham, putting together some good numbers, one and two with a sub three ERA. I'm hoping to see five innings of good baseball from Taj, and it really comes down to him locating the fastball, pitching off that fastball at the top of the zone with the curveball. Those are the two best pitches for me. His cutter's been hit around a little bit when he was at the major league level. So if he does throw that, he's going to have to locate it well. But I still go. I think it goes back to the fastball-curveball combination. If he's locating those two pitches early in the game, well, then we can hopefully and expect uh, you know, maybe five, six innings from Taj and really a good line out of him. Well, we really appreciate the time, Doug. I'll try to keep the trivia question on the easier side today for you and Neil in the fifth inning. Have a great call today, and we'll talk to you again soon, okay? Chris, how about a multiple choice, huh? Do one up <laughs> for me, big guy. You know me. I'll, I'll I see what I can help. do. I'll see what I can do. I'll <laughs> get in the trivia lab right now. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks again, Doug. And we certainly appreciate Doug Wechter's time on This Week in Race Baseball. We also want to thank our other guests on the show today, including Rays outfielder Randy Rosarena for sharing the origins of his famous pose, Rays hitting coach Chad Matola for discussing his journey from the National Football League to Major League Baseball, as well as Morgan Ensberg for taking a few minutes to update us on the Montgomery Biscuits and all things AA. If you ever have anything that you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Thanks to Jason Berenger back at our network studios, plus assistance from Andy Freed, who we hope will be back at some point very soon, and Neil Solons, as well as Chris Miller, Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Chris Adams-Wall. We're getting set for the Rays and Guardians, the series finale from Progressive Field. Taj Bradley making his first start since the end of July against Xavion Curry as Tampa Bay tries to take some momentum back to Tropicana Field for the start of a seven-game homestand against the Red Sox and Mariners. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.